0: We're all kind of anxious to get in there and check the place out and and see. So, All right, well, uh, good to have you here tonight. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 25 through 32. So uh, practicing truth and love is what I've entitled the message here tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, and uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, transforming lives. Uh, Lord, uh, we were lost in our sin, helpless to uh, get out of the pit, but uh, Lord, by your grace, uh, you reached down in your love and and provided salvation for for those who are true believers. And so we just want to thank you for the amazing grace that we Uh, know the transformation that we see in our lives little by little uh, lord we look forward to glorification but in the meantime uh, we are a new creation and uh, lord we are to live accordingly as we see in our text even here tonight so uh, bless our time of study bless the uh the the ladies who are studying the the seamless study with the young with the young women and uh, pray be fruitful and profitable too so we commit ourselves and our study to you now i pray in jesus name amen All right, well, we have noted uh, the theme of Ephesians is the church. And uh, we note Paul's pattern is to lay down doctrine first and then practice builds on doctrine. And the first three chapters emphasize doctrine and in particular uh, unity in relationship to the church. And then chapters four through six uh, practices the, the driving emphasis there. And he starts out in chapter 4 with a strong emphasis on gift use. Gift use. I was talking to a guy this afternoon. He was saying, you know, he's got this friend. And he says he really doesn't need need the church. You know, he doesn't need uh, teachers. You know, I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got the Word of God. And I said, well... What about how God has ordained the body to function, uh, you know, one member needs another, we all need the various members to function as a body, and in that context God has given teachers to the church. True enough, we all have the Holy Spirit, but uh, God has designed us to function as a body. So, uh, we need each other. We need the the use of the gifts. Uh, then in uh, verses 17 through t- uh, 24 that we looked at last week, we saw that we are to be walking in keeping with uh, who we are as a new man. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ, and we are to live accordingly. And now, continuing to build on that, uh, we see the therefore of verse 25. Continuing to build on that, we see a series of contrasts between uh, what really is reflective of the old man uh, before salvation and what is now to be reflective as far as our position in Christ. Why don't we have somebody read, uh, let's get started here, and let's read verses, uh, just verse 25, I guess, to start with. Somebody want to read that, verse 25? Yeah, John. John. Okay, so interesting, (laughs) again, the therefore connects back, uh, back to our walk, and I think back to verse 17, where he says, uh, this I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk uh, as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And so he's really addressing walk. How how should we then walk? And uh, we are to be consistent, consistent with a, a mind that is being renewed, consistent with our position in Christ. And so he says, therefore, putting away lying. Uh, That's an interesting place to start. Uh, Putting away lying. Uh, You know, uh, this is a dominant trait of the old man, right? Do you know uh, liars? I mean, let's not name names here now, but uh, people lie, don't they? Amazing how brazen they can be in their lying sometimes. But uh, really, uh, the unsaved tend to be perpetual liars, Uh, To one degree or another. I'm not trying to be mean, but I do think that's true. Uh, You know, it's interesting. David said in Psalm uh, 116, 11, I said in my haste, all men are liars. David said that. And somebody else said, you know, I've thought about it a long time and I still think he's right. (laughs) He said it in haste. This person thought about it a while and said, I still think he's right. All men are liars. I mean, we, we tend, that tends to be a, a reflection as far as uh, the old man. You don't have to teach children to lie. They just come by it naturally. Uh, we are just kind of born liars. And uh, so anyway, uh, but as new creations, we're to put away lying. Yeah, you know, that's not to define us anymore. Uh, rather, we're to be truth tellers. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of line that's emphasized in the scriptures, uh, you know, as we think about uh, lost people. First John addresses this, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He says, I know him and does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him. I think that's a really, this is a person who's claiming to know God, but he lies about it. I think that's a especially serious uh, condition. Revelation one eight. John wrote, 1 John, of course, and he also wrote the book of Revelation, of course, all inspired by the Spirit. But Revelation 21.8, uh, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, I don't think he's talking about simply anybody's ever told a lie. Uh, You know, even as Christians, uh, you know, things happen. We're not always as honest as we should be, necessarily. But I think he's talking really really relationship to what characterizes a person who's uh, a liar. Uh, What is a liar, according to John? Well, he's somebody who lies about his relationship with God. Says, I'm saved, I'm okay, but doesn't really know God. I think there's a lot of religious liars. Well, uh, that is characteristic of the old man. And they have no problem lying about their relationship with God, either. Uh, but for us as Christians, he says, put that away. Put it away. Put it to bed. No more. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, quote from Zechariah 8.16 here, and uh, God's people are to be a congregation of truth-tellers as a way of life. Uh, we are to be transparent. We're to be honest and open with each other. Now, I want to be wise with that. I mean, there are some things you might not want to say. Maybe it's not even edifying. Uh, and you don't need to share all your dirty laundry. Say, well, just I'm being honest. I, I know of a situation where there was a, a couple and the guy was saying, let's just be really vulnerable tonight and let's just really share what's going on in our, our lives, our relationships, our marriage. Well, so, so she began to really bring it out as far as what she was thinking about her husband, all these negative stuff. Well, it was not a healthy situation. I mean, really, I know you're, you're being very truthful right now, but this is also very stupid. Uh, not a good idea. So, you know, wisdom. Uh, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We want to be truth tellers. And the body is in view here where it says uh, we are members of uh, one of another. We want to be uh, wholesomely transparent, uh, wholesomely transparent. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful when you have you're working with people, you know, this person would not lead me astray. I know this person's a truth teller. We ought to all be that way as God's people. All right. Any other thoughts before we move on to uh, the next uh, couple of verses here? No. Okay. Let's read 26, 27. That goes together. Who wants to read 26, 27? Uh, Yeah, John, Uh, the other John. Okay. Interesting verses here. Uh, Be angry and do not sin. Now I've often said, you know, that first part's fairly easy, right? (laughs) Be angry. And and there is a place for anger, right? Where is it? Oh yeah, I would say so. A a righteous indignation, right? I mean, we see God is angry uh, with the wicked every day. And so I don't think we should just be complacent and say, oh, well, it doesn't bother me. I don't don't care how wicked it is. It it, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, That's not quite right. But there is danger with anger. We're not God, right? I think we can all agree on this. We're not God. And because we have the flesh, anger easily does lead to sin. And uh, so we want to be very careful with with anger because I think there's a real danger. There's a real vulnerability with anger. And, uh, you know, I always think about this. I think about this a lot as far as my own ministry because I can get mad sometimes. Things can make me angry, Uh, especially if something is is wrong and it's really wrong and somebody's really being wronged. That can upset me. And, And you know who I think about in the Bible when I think about that, when I really stop and think about it? I think about Moses, you know, this godly leader, this great leader in Israel. And they, they, if any, he almost said he had a right to be angry, but he didn't in a sense, not certainly not unrighteously so, but how they were blaming him all the time for everything. And then he says, you know, he gets, God says, speak to the rock. And, and he says, you rebels. And he starts whacking the rock. It's like, uh uh-oh. That was a real mistake. That anger got him in some trouble, didn't it? Couldn't go into the promised land because of it. Uh, Good reminder. Uh, Be angry. Okay. Yeah, there's a righteous indignation. But be careful it doesn't lead to sin. I think a righteous anger is certainly self-controlled because uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not out of control. It's not driven by, you know, revenge or whatever uh, it's, uh, it's controlled. It's controlled by the Holy Spirit. But he says, be angry and do not sin. There, there's the challenge. And then he gives this safeguard. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What's the sense of that? Do you suppose you say, well, I I'm, I'm hanging on to it for the next 11 hours, but as soon as the sun's starting to set, I'll let go of it. Uh, what, what's the spirit of this? Do you suppose? Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What's?
1: you could die in your sleep,
0: for one thing. Well, that's true. What's the sense of it here, though? Yeah. I can tell you what my parents told me when I was younger. Okay. Uh, and they said you
1: you never stay mad at your spouse when you're when you're going to bed because you don't. That's what they said. You don't know if you're going to die and then uh, harbor anger with your with your spouse.
0: Well, that's true. That's some probably good practical advice. This is a little broader than spouses though, right? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the context for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean we're talking about members one of another and so forth here. Um, I think yes, John. What's that? Is it about not becoming complacent? Yeah. Well, that certainly fits in. I think the idea here is keep short accounts. Yes. Don't don't let this just simmer. Don't say, well, you know what? And some people don't do that. They just want to kind of, you know, ah, let it fester and, and not really deal with it, though. Uh, and, and that's not a good idea. Keep short accounts. Keep it in check. Uh, and the reason I think this is so important is because what happens if we don't deal with it and, and we hang on to it and we let it fester? Well, the devil takes advantage of simmering anger. And that's why I think he goes on to say, nor give place to the devil. Don't, don't give the devil a foothold. Anger can get in there. And if you hang on to that, uh, the devil can really have an opportunity to work in, in a great way. Unresolved anger is really fertile ground uh, for the devil. It's the devil's workshop. So uh, we have to let it go you know, have to give it over to God, casting all of our cares upon him. And lots of things come about that would make you angry, right? Maybe something happened today to make you angry. Uh, Things do happen. Uh, I know people do things, right? They do things. And uh, I always say, you know, we're dealing with people here, (laughs) of which I am one, by the way. I'm I'm a people too. So I'm part of the problem sometimes. Uh, Okay. Any other thoughts? All right, no lying, no uncontrolled anger. Uh, What else do we got here? Let's have somebody read uh, verse 28. Who wants to read verse 28? Yeah, Albert. That's a thief. You know, when I first got saved, this verse really spoke to me a lot because I tended to uh, walk off with a few things in the place where I worked at. And there was an older farmer. I had taken some things from where, you know. So I, I, I really wrestled with this after I got saved. So what do I do with this? And, and I went back to certain people. I remember this one wealthy farmer. I went back and the and asked him how I could make it right, and he, he forgave me, you know, and all of that. But uh, this was a great comfort to me. Here's what, what you should do: uh, let him who stole. And uh, some of us were in this category before we got saved. What should we do? Let him who stole steal no longer. Well, that's a good place to start, right? No, no more stealing, uh, no more pilfering. Uh, don't steal any longer. Uh, rather, let him labor. Go to work. Go to work. Don't be don't be taking other people's stuff. Go to work. Let him labor. Uh, be transformed in your mind from stealing to honest work. And then working with his, with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. So be transformed from a, a person who is a thief to one who is now sharing, willing to share. That's a transformed life. That's what he wants. Uh, you know, the thief thinks only of himself. The spirit-filled person thinks about others and what they can do f- for somebody else. And so uh, uh, a transformed mind, uh, a whole different way of thinking and living in keeping with a, a whole new person, a new man. All right, anything else there? Okay, we're covering this very thoroughly. There's absolutely nothing else to be said here. Yes, John? I might have been. I might have been. <laughs> yeah you know i i i i might have i i i wouldn't say I was above it <laughs> I did a few of those things yeah uh it is it's all under the blood of Christ, and that's true it's a new day here, and praise the lord it's uh, forty five years removed, so that's good or whatever it is <laughs> so anyway, but yeah you know you still think about those things sometimes i do. Uh, I, when I went to school here in Omaha, I, I had a. He was a really bold th- thief. Like he said, "You want a new battery for your car?" I said, "Well, sure." He says, "I'll get you one." He says, "I know that car over there, this car over here, has got a new battery because I just stole one out of there last week." So he go and steal a battery. I, I, I'm sure this guy's probably in prison today. I mean, he was such a bold thief. I mean, he, would stand, he would steal there was stealing stuff. There was a guy who was, I'm sorry, we forgot to go on here. It's was a gang member, like but we were going to school, and he was stealing stuff from this guy. I was. Like, you're going to get us all killed. Anyway, uh, he, I Praise the Lord. I hope he gets saved. I pray for him. I don't know, I've lost track of him. Anyway, yeah, praise the Lord for uh, changed lives. Let him who uh, stole steal no longer work and be, so you can have something to, to give to him who has need. All right, uh, somebody want to read verse 29? Yeah, Anita? Okay, notice here, um, we are now going to enter into the section here that has a lot to do with the mouth. And you know what? Life has a lot to do with the mouth. It really does. Uh, what comes out of uh, the mouth. A lot of space here is given to this particular emphasis. It's a great issue in our in our life. Uh, someone has said this. Uh, well, I said this part. A person is known by their speech because it is a reflection of what's going on in their heart. Our, our words are the index of our character. And uh, that is true. It, it's telling in terms of what comes out of our, our mouth. And so he says here, uh, by the way, I, I, I always remember this. I heard Ord Morrow, who used to be with Back to the Bible years ago, and he told this story about that he was out golfing one day, and, and they put him together as a foursome. You don't, you don't know who you're going to get. And so he had a guy that was on there, and this guy was just cussing up a storm whenever he had a bad shot. And, and then somebody told the guy, he said, you know, well, Ord Morrow, he works it back to the Bible, and he's a Bible teacher. And, and the guy says, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope I didn't hurt your religion any. And Ord Morrow said to him, well, you didn't hurt mine, but you sure shot yours full of holes. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, it's telling, isn't it? It is telling. I always say you can kind of tell what's going on in a person's heart. Only God ultimately knows everything. But you can get a feel for what's going on in a person's heart by how they talk. Uh, You know why I say that? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In fact, I might have that reference up here in just a minute here, which I will. But uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. This word corrupt is used of uh, uh, that which is rotting, like overripe fruit. Uh, Rotten. Let no rotten word proceed out of your mouth. Uh, Spiritually unhealthy words, unwholesome Uh, We're responsible for what comes out of our mouth. And and it's kind of a warning here. Rotten things can come out of a believer's mouth too. That's why we're told, don't let it happen. Uh, It can happen. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Yeah, and here's that verse I was talking about uh, where Jesus says to the vipers, (laughs) brood of vipers. Uh, That's bold, isn't it? That's bold. I mean, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Of course, these religious hypocrites uh, and there's a climactic time there as far as sin and blasphemy of the spirit. How can you being evil speak good things out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so there's that principle. And so here we go. James 3, 8. <clears throat> but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So there you go. We got a problem. And uh, it's an untamable problem, Right. Nobody can tame the tongue. It's kind of, and it's it's in a wet and slippery place, right? And it's it's hard to keep it under control. Um, so, uh, but he says here, uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What we see right here, uh, it, we can't tame it. So, what are we supposed to do about this? If we can't tame it, but yet he's saying, don't let any corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Well, what's the remedy here? Huh? Well,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and really where I'm going is, is here. Galatians uh, 5, 23, the fruit of the spirit is all these things. And then self-control. I think with the spirit's help by the spirit's power, we can control the tongue. God controls the tongue. really. The spirit controls the tongue uh, within ourselves. I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, with God's help, as those who have the Holy Spirit, Spirit spirit-empowered people, uh, we can control what comes out of our mouth. And so he says, let no corrupt uh, word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Uh, What is good for necessary edification? Edification is the idea of of building up. Building up. Uh, Corrupt words tear down. Uh, Edifying words build up. And he says, that's what we want to be about, that which is beneficial, that which is helpful, uh, not that which is corrupting, uh, tearing down. And we have the potential for either, as far as the words that we say. Um, And he says that it may impart grace to the hearers, that is, uh, be spiritually enriching, spiritually strengthening. All right. Um, Okay. Any other thoughts there on verse 29? Yeah, John? Yep. Yep. It, it Amen. And totally. You, know, said, to do, all day. you bet. You know, I used to be you know, angry all the time, of course, you know, the past few years I just, yeah. you know. Just
1: grow. Yep. Amen. Yeah. You know, you do about it, about yeah, right. Yeah, you know, it's, you can sure. It, too. So, you bet. It's not just you know, cursing at else, it's cursing at else and, you know, in Yeah, right. So, you know, starts,
0: starts in the heart. Control, yeah. Well, you know, Proverbs 423, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, and that is certainly true. Everything starts in the heart here. Right. Absolutely. Amen. Thanks, John. Okay, um, very good. Let's have somebody read uh read verse 30. Who wants to read verse 30? Yeah, Kurt? And do not
1: greet the Holy Spirit
0: of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay. It's interesting this verse. It's kind of it's sandwiched in here. It's kind of right in the middle of this whole context uh, related to speech. And uh, he's got some more things to say. He said, let no corrupt word proceed, rather necessary words that are good for edification. And then he's going to go on to talk about bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But sandwiched right in there, right in the middle of this context on speech, is do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, what might the idea be? How would the Holy Spirit be grieved, perhaps? Well, if we do these things, are mentioned above and below. Related to? The mouth. Speech, right, the mouth. That's right. And I think that's, an e, that's a one probably prominent way the Spirit is grieved, through what happens through the mouth. And so the exhortation is not to grieve the Spirit, uh, really through the sins of the mouth. And uh, perhaps more than any other way, this is how the Spirit is grieved. Certainly one of the prominent ways. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit, where does He live? Well, He lives inside of us. Uh, you know, Paul really hit this from both directions here in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He's writing to the church as a, as a congregation. Uh, corporately, do you not know that you, plural, are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? So we are the church. Uh, we are the temple of the living God, all of us, corporately. And yet individually, the same is true. First Corinthians six nineteen speaks to individuals. Do you not know that your body, a singular, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? So this is really the defining reality for true believers. We have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives. That's, that's for sure. And so he says, don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, I, I think if you have sin in your life and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, in your, in your, within you, uh, you're going to feel that uh, when, when there's sin. Uh, The idea of grieve is to cause emotional pain or sorrow, distress or sadness. And uh, it's interesting when you think about this idea of grieve, who grieves? Well, people grieve, right? A person grieves. What I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just a force, an impersonal force out here. He's a person. And persons grieve. The Holy Spirit is a real person. And, uh, you know, uh, if somebody grieves in in sin, we grieve over sin in the the life of a loved one, right? Yeah, we do. It grieves us. Just imagine what a God who loves us perfectly must feel uh, when we are in sin. Uh, So he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God uh, who lives inside of us, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, there's a... There's a context here. Uh, This verse is inserted right in the middle of this context because I think it has application to all the vices in view in the whole surrounding context. Whenever we lie, uh, are sinfully angry, steal, speak uh, sinfully, or have sinful attitudes, when we do any of these things, the Spirit is grieved. Uh, Note that He is grieved because He is the Holy Spirit. Anytime we do something contrary to holiness, He is grieved. Never forget that the first name of the Spirit is holy. He is a real person, and he is living inside you. So so you've got uh, a holy person living in you. And so if you're doing something unholy, he's going to respond. There's going to be a grieving of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when I think about this, you know what I think about true believers who are in sin? They are a miserable lot. Have you seen these people? Have, let's get more personal. Have you experienced this? <laughs> I have. Uh, boy, when I know I've done something and I haven't quite come clean, you know, I'm kind of still hanging on to it a little bit. Boy, it's, it's kind of a miserable experience until I get to confession. And, and I think that's consistent with what we see. You know, David, you know, David sinned? Yeah, David did. What was his experience? Well, here's what David's experience it was. Psalm 32, uh, three and four. When I kept silent, and this is his uh, psalm of confession as well as Psalm 51. And he says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You talk about a desert experience. This is tough, not, not a pleasant experience. That grieving of the Holy Spirit is like, oh man, I, I, there's a groaning that is experienced. And then he says here in Psalm 51, uh, you know, parallel passage in a sense, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. That was David's experience. Just, I can't get rid of it. I can't, I, where can I go? It's just always before me. And so he says, make me hear joy and gladness. You know why he wanted that? Been a while, been a while since he fell into deep sin. Where's the joy? Uh, make me hear joy and gladness that the, the bones you have broken may rejoice. <laughs> God, I'm pretty broken under this all. And then he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. By the way, he didn't say uh, restore the salvation. He had the salvation, right? Lost the joy. Restore to me the joy Of your salvation. The joy was gone. That's why I say, uh, Christians in sin, miserable lot. Miserable lot. Where's the joy? The Spirit is grieved. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's joy. You get in the way of that. It's not a pleasant experience. Okay. Um, And then he says, uh, just to, uh, it's almost like he doesn't want to, he wants to be very clear you're not going to lose your salvation as a believer. You may grieve the Spirit, but you're not going to lose the Spirit, right? You say, boy, I I think, uh, now David seemed like, in this Psalm 51, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me, he says in that same passage. But what context is that? Old Testament context, right? We're living in the New Testament under a new covenant with stronger promises than what they had in the Old Testament. And we have strong promises that the Holy Spirit is not going to leave us. Uh, I don't care if you fall into sin and you grieve the Spirit, you're still sealed by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, what is the idea of sealed? We already talked about this in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. What's the idea of sealed? You know, you're sealed, it says, by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. What's the idea of sealing Well, that's one form of sealing. You know, they sealed the tomb of Jesus Christ uh, and so forth. It's the idea of security. Security. Ownership and security. Uh, so um, that's the idea here. You're sealed uh, for the day of redemption. Um, in chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. When At the moment we believe, we are sealed. And we're sealed uh, for the day of redemption. Uh, The word redemption, well, let me put it up. I think I got it in my note here. The word redemption means to be set free. What we need to understand is that there are two phases of redemption. In chapter 1, verse 7, we saw redemption with the forgiveness of sins in view. This first phase for the believer is past. Right? We've been redeemed. We sing it, right? I've been redeemed. You know, not say. I'm going to be redeemed. You you could say that in the second phase that we're going to talk about here. But really what we mean is we've been redeemed as far as the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. That's phase one. Uh, This first phase for the believer is past. It's already in effect for us as we have already been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. The second phase is future. When Christ comes for his people, at that point we will be set free from the presence of sin in the context of a glorified body, at that point our redemption will be complete. So, so there's a, there's an aspect of redemption that is yet future. You're sealed for the day of redemption, and and he's not going to lose you in the process. Oh, I dropped him. Oh, he's out. You know, <laughs> almost got him to the finish line, but not quite. Nope. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, uh, until that final completion when you when we're set, completely set free from all the effects of sin in terms of not only the penalty and the power, but even the very presence of sin. Uh, what a day that's going to be. We look forward to that. But I think, you know, you could you know, say, boy, I'm grieving the Spirit. I mess up. Uh, you can say, boy, am I even saved? Well, it kind of adds this little note of security on here by whom you were uh, sealed for the day of redemption. In fact, I think it's a really good thing when people uh, experience the grieving of the Spirit because, you know what it tells me? They have him they have him. Uh, You know, as a believer, you can't sin with the same, quote unquote, liberty (laughs) as an unbeliever. Uh, You just, if you really have the Holy Spirit, you can't go too far with that. Hebrews 12 says God's going to discipline you uh, as a child, unless you're an illegitimate uh, child. Uh, He disciplines all of of his children. All right. Any other thoughts there before we finish out here? Yes, Bill. I'm trying to kind of distinguish between persistent and unrepentant. It would be kind of the same.
1: Someone is stuck in, let's say, alcoholism. Oh. Someone is stuck in a sin that is persistent in the for decades. Mm-hmm.
0: I would say it would raise a major red flag. And the reason I would say that is because like in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me turn there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, there in, in verse 9 and on, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, do not be deceived. So there's an indication that you know, there, is, there is a deception uh, element here neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. And that would kind of fit in with what you're saying. So if somebody has a constant, ongoing lifestyle pattern of drunkenness, I'm not talking about somebody just getting drunk over here or wrestles with it once in a while. But as a pattern like you're talking about, I would say, where are we here? Because he goes on to say, uh, he mentions revilers, extortioners, these will not inherit the kingdom. he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed and so forth. So I think this is characteristic of those that are not saved. If that's an ongoing lifestyle pattern that's unbroken. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Anything else? Praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, boy, he has really ministered to me sometimes in, in in a way where I got the point. Uh, I remember we were married first year in marriage. We go back a long time. We don't tell any recent stories here, but <laughs> but I I something had upset me and I I wasn't very nice to Janie, and I went out and I caught my finger somewhere and boy it, it was like the Holy Spirit just had my attention in a second. It's like oh man I'm taking I get it I'm out of line here. I confessed went back got right with my wife. Anyway praise the Lord for that that grieving ministry of the Holy Spirit yeah how god uses it uh, for his glory okay uh, let's have somebody read uh, verses uh, 31 and 32 to finish us out here who wants to read that 31 32 terry Okay, thank you. All right, Uh, let all bitterness, let all bitterness, let all these things be put away from you, all bitterness. Uh, Bitterness is the idea of harboring resentment, holding a grudge, keeping a score of wrongs, won't let it go, uh, bitter. It's easy to get bitter. I often say you're either gonna get better, you're gonna get bitter. What are we gonna do with this? Let all bitterness be be put away. Uh, This idea of being unwilling to forgive, uh, just, just bitter. Uh, people are bitter. Is kind of the opposite of sweet, right? You got bitter and sweet. Uh, you want to be sweet. You want to be bitter. Uh, bitter, bitter is not good. And so, let, let, all bitterness, uh, wrath uh, is the idea of being uh, enraged, passion. Uh, it's kind of the idea of an explosion uh, when you're boiling mad. Uh, put that away. You know, out of control stuff, just letting it fly. Anger is more the slow burn. Clamor is like hollering and shouting related to strife. Like, man, we are really having it out. My neighbors used to do this. Keep me up all hours of the night as they're doing this over there. So I'd shout this verse out of them. Uh-uh. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor. Stop it. Let it be put away. No, I didn't say a thing, but I did pray for them. Uh, and evil speaking. Uh, this uh, phrase is uh, a form of the word that's often translated as blasphemy. It's the idea of, of uh, speaking injuriously. Um, it's that idea of abusive speech. Uh, let that be put away from you. Uh, with all malice. And that's kind of like a catch-all. With all malice, all evil is the idea here. Uh, it's the idea of uh, ill will or spite. Again, it's a general word for evil. Uh, may uh, kind of summarize all the vices uh, that are in view here. Uh, so uh, let all these negative vices related to the tongue be put away from you. Let it be put away from you. That's the negative. Now we're talking about the positive. Uh, but before we do that, any, any input there on verse 31? I guess not. I had my moment of confession. You can have yours now. Anyway. All right. Verse 32. Be kind to one another. I like that. I like it. I like when people are kind to me. I hope I'm kind to others. I want to be. I don't wake up in the morning thinking think, I hope I can bite somebody today. Uh, no. Be kind to one another. This is the idea of unselfish concern. Gracious. Gracious with people. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, the idea is to, to be a caring person who, who's concerned, who's sensitive, compassionate, tenderhearted. and forgiving one another. Now, this is not the normal word, ephemi, uh, the Greek word, ephemi, that's translated uh, to let go. Uh, this is a word that's related to grace. It's the, literally the idea to be gracious. And it is used in the sense of forgiving, but it's, it's a kind of a fuller word. Uh, the idea of forgiving Uh, one another based on on grace. Really, uh, I think what we kind of have here is uh, malice in verse 31 kind of colors that whole verse of vices. And then this idea of forgiving here kind of colors the whole of verse 32 uh, related to being gracious forgivers. Forgiving one another. How should we forgive one another? Well, even as God in Christ forgave you. How's that? Uh, how has God treated you? How's God forgiven you? Graciously. <laughs> <laughs> Mercifully. How much? Fully. Completely. Oh my goodness, yes. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? You say, Boy, I, I think I'm going to let most of it go, but not all of it. You're on probation, buddy. <laughs> not that there's not, certain, you know, like a certain... If a pastor falls from a position of leadership, you don't say, "Well, all is forgiven." Go right back in. No, there are standards, there are qualifications, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, we are to be godlike in in being willing to forgive one another. Uh, let's see here. Christ said this. You know, after we have what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, He said this. Kind of added on this, some extra thoughts here as far as forgiveness. Uh, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We we know that's part of the quote-unquote disciples' prayer, as I prefer to call it. But then he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh Uh-oh! Here we have an unforgiven situation. Uh, in what sense do you suppose? Well, what's that? Relationally. Yes, yes. Uh, let me break it down this way: as believers, we have been forgiven of all sin in, in a penal sense, right? I mean, uh, we have just been talking about this, even even as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, So, I mean, we have been forgiven of all sin in a penal sense. The penalty of sin, which is death, right? The wages of sin is death, right? Uh, Is forever removed. I mean, what do we have in Christ? Life. What kind of life do we have? Temporary? Spontaneous? Eternal life! Uh, We share in God's life. How long does God's life go on? How long does God's life go on? How, how long is it? It's not only, you know, how long is it going from here on out? It's been forever. We share in eternal life. We share in God's life. You're not going to lose that. Uh, so the penalty of sin, which is death, has forever been removed. This is our position. However, sin can hamper our walk. And that's what you were talking about, relationally. Can, can hamper our walk with God. This re- relates to our practice. In that sense, if we refuse to forgive others, then we ourselves are not right with God. Uh, those who won't forgive are not forgiven. In a sense, 1 John one nine goes unclaimed. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Well, in the penal sense, we're already forgiven. Uh, we don't have to say, well, I'm, I'm reapplying. <laughs> I, I'd like to be for, uh, have my sins forgiven again as far as the, the penalty of my sins. No, that's, that's a once for all thing. Uh, you know, that's all we're talking about. While nothing can affect our position of being forgiven in Christ, the sin of unforgiveness does come between us and God in regard to our walk. Uh, only those who are willing to forgive walk in unbroken fellowship with God. If you're saved by grace, be gracious. So uh, that's the distinction there. Okay. Um, well, I like this just to wrap up and make a uh, application here. Uh, this is Gypsy Smith who said this. There are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. Understands the sense of which he's saying this. Uh, most people will never read the first four. So you understand he's taking a little bit of liberty in terms of what he's saying there. But it is true that we are walking epistles in one sense. We are those who are saying Christ has changed my life. I'm a new creation in Christ. And that's what's to be on display in our life. And the question is, well, how do people read us? What do they see? They see the old man, shades of the old man, which we're not really, that's not our real identity, but is that what's on display? Or do they see the new man? Wow, how how we live in terms of we're honest, how we deal with anger. We don't steal Uh, what comes out of our mouth. It's it's all reflective of uh, being a new creation in Christ. Hopefully, it should be. All right, any other thoughts as we uh, conclude here? Oh, yep, yep.
1: This is something that that we should always try to keep in mind is when, when we see people doing something to, to another. I was told a few weeks ago about another person that is unforgivable. I will never forgive them for that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if you're if you are a Christian, you should not say that. You know? and, and so, anyway, uh, it's something to keep in mind. And for sure, you know. The Lord, well, he reminds me of this quite often, that when he says, forgive as I have forgiven you, mm-hmm. you know, and I think forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things for the human being to do without the power of the Holy Spirit.
0: Uh, amen to that. Amen. Amen. Um, That's for sure. I think it's in that context of if uh, you say to this mountain, if you say it in faith, it'll be removed. I think that's in the context of forgiveness there. So, I mean, these are these are impossible things without God's help. Really, we need God's help to be forgivers like we, we need to be. All right. Anyone else? Okay. let's share some prayer requests. Everybody have a prayer sheet? I guess so. We're all good.